Chapter Eight of The Love Affairs of Pixie by Mrs. George de Horn Vesey. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. A Long, Long Letter From Pixie O'Shaughnessy to Bridgie Victor. Not a moment have I had to write to you, honey, since the first wee note and i've been here a whole three days it's the most distracting thing in the world when you've nothing to do and it takes up more time than you'd believe i think of you all in the morning in the dear little house every one bustling round and only longing for more hands and legs to get along the quicker while here we sit the six of us dawdling over breakfast with not a thing to think of but how to waste the time until we can decently begin to eat again it isn't energetic and it isn't useful and it isn't wise or noble or improving or anything of the kind but i won't disguise from you my dear that by way of a change it's exceedingly agreeable to the feelings in esmeralda's language there is no one here at present which means that there are three other visitors besides my important self and what is more my dear there's a full-fledged romance being acted under my very eyes here's luck aren't things kind to happen so conveniently for me heroine honor ward aged twenty-four orphan proprietress of piquant pickles factory cheeving massachusetts u s a honor who is of fair and pleasing exterior is spending a year in europe visiting various friends and connections honor is sensitive as to her enormous fortune and suspects robert carr hero-in-chief of being attracted thereby robert carr is a barrister engaged in climbing the ladder he loves honour but resents her attitude and talks assiduously to patricia o'shaughnessy youngest scion of the house patricia is plain but fascinating and of noble disposition she is anxious to reconcile the lovers the more so as she herself prefers the companionship of stanor vaughan secondary hero a beauteous youth of fair estate stanner being ardently in love with himself does not return her passion he treats her with sisterly affection patricia hides her chagrin beneath a mask of gaiety how's that for a start honey pretty thrilling eh don't be anxious about the mask it's so lifelike that it deceives even myself into believing that it's the genuine article but when dramatic happenings are around it isn't pixie o'shaughnessy who will stand aside and take no part on wednesday we went for a picnic it was meant to be a picnic deluxe but fate was kind to us and it turned out very alfresco indeed we started in the big car geoffrey driving and all sorts of good things piled up in hampers and at an appointed place the chauffeur met us and took possession while we walked on through the woods such woods bridgie all sweet and dim and green the trunks of the great old beeches standing up straight and tall like the pillars of a great cathedral and sweet innocent little primroses peeping up through the moss 
and last year's leaves crackling underfoot those primroses went straight to my head i felt quite fay strictly between me and your sisterly ear i was very amusing indeed and they all appreciated me very much and we laughed and talked and finally began to sing you have a quite too beautiful voice miss o'shaughnessy won't you sing to us in the drawing-room to-night how sweet of you really i shall be too charmed this is the orthodox fashionable manner of speaking let us be fashionable or die we sang glees esmeralda and i took contralto there was practically no treble for honour's squeak was drowned fathoms deep geoffrey and mr carr droned bass and stanner vaughan took tenor rather out of tune it's true but no man with that profile could be expected to condescend to bass we sang come and see the daylight dawning on the meadow far away and mr carr said he must really make a point of going some day and we planned an early walk for next week if anyone can wake up in time we roared all among the barley until the primroses looked quite abashed and turned into good-night good-night beloved to soothe them down again and we grew so intimate and festive and they all said what next miss o'shaughnessy what next really my dear i was a succes fou but more is yet to come it was so lovely and we were enjoying ourselves so much that we dallied about and took extra little detours so that it was nearly two o'clock when we arrived at the appointed spot and imagine my dear our thwarted hunger and thirst when not a vestige of a car could we behold it was no use waiting because if all had gone right it should have been waiting for us for an hour at least so we held a council of war at the side of the road esmeralda i shall give dawson notice at once he has made some stupid mistake and gone to the wrong place i've no patience with blunderers she hasn't geoffrey something may have gone wrong with the car don't blame the poor fellow till you are sure he deserves it stanor i don't care one rap about dawson i want my lunch with the luxuries what price expectation now miss o'shaughnessy honour i'm sorry to be disagreeable but i've a blister on my heel if it's a case of walking back i must bid you all a fond adieu and take to a forest life robert carr what can you expect if you start out on a country walk in ballroom slippers honour said they aren't in any way i don't expect sympathy from you and i said isn't there an opening into the road a little nearer the village where the car may be waiting all the time mrs dick quoted geoffrey your common sense is invaluable and off he started in advance while we all trailed in the rear along the dusty high road this time and not by any means in a singing mood esmeralda stalked and honour limped she hadn't done it a bit before so it came on rather suddenly and stanner offered her his arm and she hung upon it and mr carr talked politics to me and i tried to quote dick's remarks and appear intelligent but it didn't come off 
it was a mile and more seemed like three and when we arrived at the opening the car was not there we sat down against the dusty hedgerow and gave way to despair here we were stranded five weary miles from our base i e the hampers and what were we going to do everyone had a different suggestion but the object of them all was the same get something to eat it's humiliating how greedy people become when they are defrauded of a meal dawson and the car were forgotten everything was forgotten and when i said that doctors were agreed that we ate too much and an occasional starve was the most healthy thing that could happen they looked coldly on me and stanner said doctors might keep their theories but give him foie gras finally we agreed to be scouts and go forth on a foraging expedition through the tiny village seeking what we might devour geoffrey was the scoutmaster and we were to meet him at the second lamp-post and report there were half a dozen cottages one shop and a yard where they sold coal and fresh eggs so that meant a cottage each and the stores thrown in our orders were to knock on each door and stand close so as to have a good view of the interior when it was opened if it was a dirty interior we were to dissemble and ask the way if it was clean we were to say oh if you please we are stranded motorists and do you supply plain teas in case of two being clean the choice was to be left with the scoutmaster who would decide between them with tact and discretion bridgie it was sport they were all clean and they all supplied plain teas but the astounding part was that no one could supply milk esmeralda says she has never yet raided an english cottage where they could and they all offered the same bill of fare tea with tinned milk eggs and spring onions we chose the biggest and airiest cottage ordered eggs looked haughtily at onions adjourned to the village store and tried to discover some accessories among the rope firewood and linoleum there was tinned salmon but esmeralda said she objected to us dying on her hands and loaf sugar and treacle and bull's-eyes in a glass bottle and gingerbread biscuits but the snap had departed and they were so soft that you could have rolled them in balls and some very strong-looking cheese and rows of dried herrings packed in a box it was hobson's choice so we bought a herring apiece and insisted on having each one wrapped up in paper and carrying it across the road in our own separate hands and i bought a pound of bull's-eyes they are such encouraging things on a long walk it was a delicious tea the milk was rather greasy and hard to mix but if you didn't think about it it tasted almost as good as real the eggs were fresh and the herrings so good that stanner ran across the road for more and we made time with bread and butter until they were cooked and we gave not a thought to the motor it was only when the sixth plate of bread and butter had been eaten to a crumb that we remembered the miles between us and the nearest station five or six it was nothing to trouble ordinary people even if they would have preferred a comfortable car but there was honour she had slipped off her shoe under the table and when she tried to put it on again it hurt so badly that she could hardly hobble across the room and there was not a vehicle within miles 
we all fussed and wondered what could be done except mr carr who strolled calmly out of the house without a word lighting a cigarette as he went and after that honor's foot got so suddenly worse that the tears came to her eyes five minutes later when we were still fussing and settling nothing back he came and in his hands what do you think you'd never guess a pair of men's carpet slippers i remember in a dim subconscious fashion having seen them hanging up in drab and crimson bunches from the ceiling of the shop but it had never occurred to me that they were to wear you can walk in these said mr carr coolly and without waiting to hear honor's reply he went down on his knees and began unbuttoning her shoe she has the daintiest mite of a foot you ever saw it looked like a doll's in his big strong hand but she wasn't a bit grateful there was a look on her face which sent all the others crowding to the door but she glared at me to stay and being curious i obeyed mr carr says she this is too much it is usual in my country for a man to ask a girl what she wants before he takes it upon himself to dictate he went on unfastening the shoe occasionally one meets people who don't know what they do want well i reckon i do and it don't happen to be carpet slippers i'd look a guy what are you taking off that shoe for anyway that foot's all right it wouldn't be right long one flat shoe and one french heel make a poor pair you're going to wear both they're miles too large they'd fall off on the road oh no they won't i'll take care of that he said coolly and took from his pocket two strong black bootlaces which he proceeded to criss-cross over the instep and round the ankles she sat quite still watching him her eyes very bright her hands twisted together on her lap when he had finished she put out her feet and stared at them they did look boats then she looked down at him he was still kneeling and there was not a sound to be heard in that kitchen but the tick of the old clock and the beat 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 of pixie o'shaughnessy's heart don't you care she said softly a mite how i look not a mite says he coolly i care how you feel there was a look in his eyes which was not carpet slippers far from it and honor leaped up and swept to the door with what was intended to be a haughty sweep but the slippers pad padded at each step in a sort of shuffle which was the unhaughtiest thing you could possibly imagine then mr carr gathered up the two tiny brown shoes and dusted them carefully with his handkerchief and slipped one into each pocket of his norfolk coat honor never bothered about her shoes i suppose you don't when you own factories but mr carr walked all the way with his hands in his pockets as if he had got something there that he liked to hold the children of the village followed us as we went and called out hi look at her feet hi miss is there room for me and them slippers as of course they would bless them and i will say for her she took it smiling two miles along the road the car met us 
poor dawson apoplectic with distress and confusion the engine had gone wrong and he had had a terrible time getting it put right and was distracted because he could find no way of sending on the hampers we tumbled in and whirled home in peace and safety but some of us were glad it had not come before don't you wonder how i've accomplished this mammoth letter there are so many times a day in this house when one has to dress in something different to do the next thing on the programme and experience has proved that i change in about a quarter the time taken by the others so down i sit and fill up the weight by scribbling a page or two more and i hope my dear the result will amuse you i wear my best clothes all day long eat indigestible food go to bed late get up later and have esmeralda's maid to do my hair you'd think it would need an effort to change into a fine lady all at once but it doesn't you just slip in and feel like a sleek stroked cat my dear i was born to be a society belle pixie End of chapter 8